Benvenuti ai Business Talks di Idea, un podcast pensato per gli sviluppatori italiani di videogiochi. L'appuntamento di oggi è... Merge Games, Powering Your Creations. Ok. Hi everyone and thank you Luke and Ed for joining us uh, from Merge Games. Thank you for uh, everyone that's attending this business talk today. As usual, our format is uh, quite free, so you are free to ask whatever you want. Uh, we'll start with a little introduction, then I have some questions, but whatever you want to ask, just ask them in the channel, uh, write it down and we can rate them. So just feel free to, to you know, reply and uh, to ask whatever you want. So first of all, thank you for joining us, Luke and Ada. And how, if you can just tell us a bit more about Merge Games, a bit little more about yourself and how you, you're, you're starting in the industry and so on. Uh, so I'm the managing director and owner of Merge Games. Um, Merge Games was established 11 years ago as an independent Well, actually, first out, we started out as a distributor, but then we moved to, to be a, um, a fully independent publisher over the years. So, um, yeah, we've been in operation for 11 years now. We handle key products like Dead Cells, uh, Spirit of the North, um, Small Land, Alex Kidd, which is uh, very famous to all you core video gamers out there that we're bringing to market this year. Uh, we've probably got another three or four games, which is un- unannounced. I would say that we're pretty well known in the Italian games community uh, purely because we we were the publisher initially of Riot, um, Civil Unrest, and um, we we're also the publisher of, um, of Foreclosed as well, which is a an Italian uh, game co- that's come out of Milan and also a, an unannounced game from Ivan Venturi in um, Haunted Space as well. So, um, so we do have at our tentacles into um, Italy as well. Um, but pretty much we're a, we're a publisher which, which uh, you know, takes independent games and takes them to the world. Uh, my colleague, Aid, do you want to talk? Yeah, sure. So, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Aid, uh, Aid Lawton. Uh, I'm a recent joy, um, member of staff to join Merge. Um, I joined back in, in November uh, as head of marketing. I previously had spent several years at Team17 as head of marketing there. Um, but I've also spent time at Codemasters, Ubisoft and 2K Games. So yeah, I was brought on board to help head up all our marketing efforts and um, and yeah, pleased to be here and, and working with, on some great games and talking to great people like yourselves. Fantastic. So, okay, uh, when we wait for some questions, I start with some questions. So actually in the last year you celebrated your 10th anniversary, right? How has the game industry changed in the last 10 years? I wouldn't say it's as... Um, uh, triple a focus i mean you know the whole the whole retail versus digital landscapes changed the the enterprise of valve and steam has also opened the markets up for independent developers to take their products directly to market it's also opened the world up as well for streaming services um for and the market is is, is completely content driven now so you know it, it means that young developers or young aspiring developers can take their ideas and content to the world and so that's really been the big change because once upon a time 
you needed a big AAA publisher, whereas these days, yeah, sure, you need help. So I think the barriers to the market have obviously changed to be so open for independent developers to do so well in marketplaces. So, you know, you had early games like Super Meat Boy and, you know, Fez and these style of games, which were, which were massive global hits. So it, it, it encouraged the whole gaming community. I would say probably now it's getting harder because the market's flooded again. So there is a need for publishers once again. The more flexible-based publishers that, are, that can help you, that can that can be a benefit to you, that can get to different global markets. So, you know, Aid will talk to you about the rise of Team 17 as to where they were at when, when, when they first started to where it is today, to them being a major publisher, you know, in the world. So, you know, the whole developer, publisher, distribution landscapes completely changed over a 10-year period. And just, just on the marketing side, you know, the landscape has very much changed there as well. You know, back in back in the days, I used to work on video games magazines many, many years ago. And, you know, they were the, they were the gatekeepers of the power. They, they, they were people who, the people who told um, gamers about, uh, you know, gave them all the information about games. Um, but of course, that, that's changed with online. Um, and then um, you, you know the role of the role of journalists has changed in the last decade, with um, influencers and content creators becoming very, very powerful and um, able to reach huge audiences and drive uh, drive audiences. So there's big changes there on the marketing side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the landscape is very, very, very different right now. And what do you think about streaming services or subscription services like Apple Arcade or Stadia and so on? Do you think it changes the game again? Yes, of course. I mean, it, it, it gives another avenue to, to take products to market. But you no, know, we have a philosophy at Merge Games that it's all about for us to publish the best possible content because it doesn't really matter what platform it goes on whether it's Stadia, whether it's Apple, whether it's Epic, whether it's Valve, it's more important that, you've, you, that you're building, you know, video games which are, which are popular in, in a genre or in a marketplace, which is, which is quite flooded these days. So Apple Arcade had, you know, a lot of, they were doing a lot of deals last year. This year, they're not doing so many deals. And that's, that's the way that the market works. And probably similar to Google Stadia as well. Yeah, you know, there's still you know, Microsoft behind the scenes is, is spending billions of dollars on Azure in order to get their content out because they feel that, you know, consoles are not necessarily where it's at. They feel like, you know, that their marketplace for streaming is, is more like a four billion person rollout versus where they, you know, they think they're maxed out at 200 million on, on Series X, etc. So, you know, the investment in infrastructure is key. Uh, the way we feel is that, you know, we're in touch and done deals with all those people that, that so long as we've got the right content. Amazon Luna is another one as well, which has popped up. So our job is to is to commercialise those opportunities for the developers. So yeah, because, you know, when you're working in a three or four man team, it's very hard to reach out to 10, 15 different people. And to give you some sort of an idea on that is, you know, Nintendo Europe is different to Nintendo US and, and Nintendo Japan is different again. So they all need time, resource, localization in order to, to propagate and commercialize those opportunities. So, you know, that's just that just gives you a bit of a snippet of, of how you know how publishers can can be of benefit to developers. Now, if you're putting something on Apple Arcade, absolutely, you know, fantastic. If you get a big chunk of money, that's great. But you know, the way we see things is that there's commercially there's 10 or 15 different channels to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Regarding this, it's always possible to self-publish, actually. But do you feel that, you know, since you just said there are so many channels and so many opportunities, do you think that in the last few years it's been, you know, it's become more difficult to self-publish because 
if you also do that, you risk to not be able to reach all the different opportunities because there are so many more right now. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's got the ability to self-publish. And if you've got a team behind you to do that, you should do it. But, you, you know, you need a marketing team and you need a, you know, need a sales team behind you to do that. And that's, where, and that's where an independent publisher fits in nicely because, you know, they should be an extension of your team where they can, they can take that sales function, they can take that marketing function to actually help you build the game. You know, if you run into a, into a publisher that, that can't do that for you, then you shouldn't sign with them. So there has to be a real benefit for you to, to sign with the publisher that has that skill set and they can prove to you, prove that they can do that job. So, and if they don't, then you should self-publish. But yes, of course, as markets get flooded, it's harder to stand out. But, you know, at the same time, you know, there's probably 150 different independent publishers now too. They all can't survive. <laughs> they can't all survive either. So, you know, they, you know, some are more distribution focused, some are more publishing focused. So, you know, that, those days of distributing just games on Steam and moving on without marketing, they're over, they're finished. So, you know, your publisher has to add real, real benefit to you. I think, you know, the presentation that we sent over, which we can't present today, gives you real meaning to that is because we published a game called, do you know the game Spirit of the North? Yep, absolutely. Right. Okay. So we first talked Spirit of the, the North on, and it, it was um, Sony um, gave Infuse Studio some money to publish first on Nintendo. So they self-published. So the PlayStation 4 version. So they did that, and they did that that reasonably successfully. They probably sold 15,000 units. Then they came to us and said, you know, can you help us out with Switch and PC after the exclusivity period? And we said, yeah, sure, no problem. So what we did is we put marketing behind it. We built the game. We put uh, community management behind it. We then said we're going to take this game to Asian um, uh, Nintendo um, and Sony stores. We're going to actually also do Spirit of the North in PS4 and Switch retail. We're also going to put it onto Signature Edition games. We're also going to try to get it featured with Nintendo. We're also going to reach out to Sony to see what we can do. We're also going to port the game to PlayStation 5. We're also going to do the, the QA. We're also going to do all the classification. So what we did is we took a franchise, which was only a two or three man team, that they sold 15,000 units. And within the first year, we'd sold 120,000 units of the product. Now, this year with Spirit of the North, we think it's a great franchise and we're going to increase that into 250,000 units. Now, how are we going to do it? Lunar deals, increasing regular discounts and regular Steam featuring, regular features with um, Nintendo on eShop. I mean, we got, you know, so they're all those things that a publisher should be doing for you. That was a great example of where we took a game which was self-published, and we, you know, we were a big benefit to them. Now, it doesn't always happen. It's, you know, it's not always as successful as that. But you know, this is a perfect example of how an independent game should work with independent publishers, where you know, where we, where, where we can plug in and offer our services. Yeah, I think this is very, very interesting because we always have published our own games. But my feeling is that it was a lot easier to do it like five six years ago, uh, seven years ago, it was totally different right now. So my feeling is that right now, it's uh, if you're a small team doing self-publishing, all platforms can be daunting, actually. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's my feeling how something is changing. You can do it, but I think it's becoming more and more difficult because probably you're, you know, you're leaving money on the table if you're not able to follow all the different business leads that you can hit at the same time. And 
And that's the rule of thumb. You know, a publisher should be at least, you know, if they're charging you 30% or 40%, they should be doing at least that much more business. And if they're not, then it's not worth doing. So, and that's where the benefit comes comes from. So, you know, if, if a publisher can't demonstrate how they're going to build that versus what you can do directly, yeah, you know, by all means, um, you've got every right to still to still say to them, well, you know, this is not worth it. I think I can do these numbers. It has to be real reasons from the services across the independent publisher to be able to, to be able to prove their worth. So, yeah, that's something we're working really, really hard on at Merge Games because we now have producers we now have a full marketing team. So every single product, you get a product manager, you get a producer. So you have, you get PR, you get community management. So, you know, that's the investments that a publisher should be able to give you to plug into. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you usually do to support indie devs as a team? So, so there's a range of things, I suppose. There's um, full marketing plans. There's full PR plans. There's full community management. There's finance. You know, we fund a lot of a lot of video games across the world. We port games as well, if needed. If if we if um, the studio says, oh, we cannot, we're only doing PC, that we need help on porting, so we could do porting. Uh, as I said, we do QA. We also uh, very recently give help to games design as well. If someone needs like some help on on games design, then we can certainly um, put that in place as well, because we've got a, um, a full time games designer in the business. So there's so many different things that we can offer a developer. And then sometimes it's nice just to hear from a different angle what you think, you know, when you're developing a game versus somewhat what someone else's thinks as well. So we've got, we feel like we've got both elements pretty well covered now with production and marketing in order to be of benefit to, to the developer. Yeah, that's great. So if anyone has any question, just ask it in the channel. Keep going in the meantime. So what are you looking for uh, from an indie game or an indie team? Very good question, really. Um, I suppose um, we like to have um, teams that have got prior experience with hitting deadlines and also making sure that their creation is realized when it comes to market. So, you know, so, so normally like a, a GDD with it or a games design document. So to, to realize what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, that probably the main things that we look for. We look for different games. We don't necessarily just choose to just you know go for a simulator market we like different ranges of games um from you know we've published cloudpunk for consoles to morbid to this year we're doing a 3d open world game in small land as well which you know which is highly anticipated so not so much looking just for just small indie games but um certainly 3d games are um are on the rise again that's for sure and sorry just to add luke um you know we're always looking for great quality games obviously but also games that have something unique about them or something incredibly interesting that allows us to position them well in the market you know get stand out am amongst all the other titles out there okay and when do you think it's the best moment to pitch you an indie game so concept stage when you already have a vertical slice or whatever yeah i think it's always better to have a vertical um, slice if you've got one just gives you a good feeling of what you're trying to achieve um, if you've got a vertical slide, videos, pitch decks, all that type of thing, GDDs, that's uh, animated GIFs, all that stuff really helps. Timelines on production, what your team's about, that sort of thing, that sort of stuff's important to us. Okay, and as you said, you don't have a specific kind of games that you're looking for, but which kind of scope are you looking at for games? You're talking about investment scope? 
Oh, yeah, also investment scopes, yeah. It can range, really. We can fund games from sort of 20 grand right up to up to a million euros, I would say. Getting up uh, up to that sort of level now. Oh, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so yeah. <laughs> quite a lot. Yeah, probably less, becoming... probably, probably less of the of the smaller ones, but yeah, still. My, my feeling right now is that, you know, also independent games are becoming bigger and better funded in the last few years. So definitely there are, uh, uh, you know, there are bigger projects uh, out there right now than it used to be like some years ago. Well, it, it depends what the game looks like. I mean, yeah, it really does depend. I mean, you know, we often get pitches for pixel games which want half a million euros of like, guys, it's not going to make that sort of money back. So, you know, whether it's a 3D game, it's different. So it really does depend on the style of game it is and what it can attract in the market because from a commercial side, it yeah, things might cost a certain amount of money, but sometimes they don't make sense to actually publish. So, and that's that that's that whole uh, discussion between the, what things cost versus what worth doing versus what's worth publishing as well. It's because there's so many variations as to what you know. If you speak to a Microsoft or or an Epic, you know they really really only want 3D games. Like there's the odd anomaly, like you know, probably Hades, etc., or Dead Cells. But you know, they're they're more often looking at next gen style games. But yeah. What do you think is, uh, you know, when someone pitch you a game, what are the things that someone doesn't have to do when they pitch you a game, and what is something they they really have to do when they pitch you a game? So, what is it that you're asking? You're asking that what is it that they shouldn't do, or? Yeah, what what someone really shouldn't do when pitching a game. We often get pitches where people sort of say things like, oh, here's a game that really works well, which is like Dead Cells mixed with Frostpunk. And you're like, well, that doesn't work. You know what I mean? So, no, just they're two popular games, but they don't actually work as a game. So you have to be really careful on the way you position things and to see if there's a marketplace for it. It's like just choosing two popular games in two certain genres doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a popular game. So you have to think about, you know, what that game looks like and what the pitch looks like as well. And and as Aid said, if it has a market in the marketplace or something unique, but sometimes it's, it, yeah, sometimes some of the stuff that we hear, you know, I'm just like, well, I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah. I think it's also really important at the pitching stage to have done your research in terms of market research. As Luke says, is there a market for this game? I, you know, am I making it for myself, or I'm, you know, because I want to play it, or or am I making it because lots of other people want to play it? That's really important. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is that where we concentrate in our marketing department too is is you know, and particularly from a games de- development perspective, is you need to be able to describe your game in one sentence. What it is, one sentence. What is your game in one sentence? Because if it if if it drags on and it's in paragraphs etc then it's it doesn't have it doesn't have a clear marketplace and that's where it becomes very difficult to market your, your product and position the product in the marketplace because customers get very confused with stuff like this yeah i agree on that so you know it's usually it can be quite difficult for a developer to understand what kind of product can work in the market you know so you need to do market research or stuff like that and usually a lot of developers tends tend to to do the game that they they really want to play more than the game that a lot of people want to play so this is a common mistake no and what's your suggestion about it to, to avoid that so to do market research or look at the market on what what's your feeling about that the market research yeah. i think is key. Carry, 
around. So, yeah, market research. You know, if you've got a creation that you you have to be really careful about games that you want to develop and play yourself versus what the what the market wants to play. You know, so if if you have a you know an affinity to to, to really like a certain game, you know, you've got to look at the, the market niche. Is, is the market niche big enough? Um, is there enough of a market for a game like this? It it, it comes down to market research. Yeah, and, and and part of that is you know looking at the market and looking at games that are similar to your game and understanding why they've been successful. What are the specific things about that game that make that made it successful? Because there's a lot of a good example is a game I worked on called um, Overcooked, and you'll know that series, I'm sure. You know, there were when that game came out at the time, it was it was incredibly popular, right? And so we saw a flood of of um couch co-op games coming along and uh, as a result of that but a lot of people missed what was actually so intriguing and, and 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 what made overcook so much fun which was the need to actually play together to cooperate to work as a team and and that's why so many clones of that haven't done done so well so it's understanding understanding why that game's done well and making sure that your product does does it just as well or does it better or does something different that is equally cool yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree on that. And uh, we have a question from Elisa Farinetti from Broken Arm Games. And can you suggest some tools and procedure to do a basic market research, or at least something that is a good base for a dev to create and use to start a conversation with you? So I was just going to say, you know, that market research can be can be a tricky thing. You know, you can pay a vast amount of money for for research, but there's uh, you know various um, free resources out there. Steam Spy, Steam Spy um, is a good for one. example, yeah. Steam Spy is a good place to start. Um, yes, it's limited without a, a paid subscription, but the paid subscription is minimal. It's just a Patreon um, that you pay pay the guy, um, which gives you much more interesting data. You're then able to look at tags and do all kinds of analysis. It's not perfect, but it's a good start. Um, and there's various other resources out there. There's loads of, of bloggers and people who write interesting stuff. There's um, a lot of stuff on Gama Sutra, for example. Lots and lots of bloggers and interesting people who are out there doing research into games. And there is stuff you can find, you know, people like Newsu, for example, they, you know, they are a paid service, um, but there are reports and snippets of reports that they put out that are useful and give you, give you some really interesting information. And then there's, you know, just things like just being on Steam and looking at Steam, looking at what's selling. Things like SteamDB will tell you the you know, most wishlisted games on Steam. That stuff is, is there, it's free, and you, you can delve into it and try and figure out what's popular, why it's popular. One of the big mistakes I think that, that, that that's often made as well is, yeah, I mean, one of the key tools we look at is is most wishlisted games on Steam, and you've all got access to it. But one of the key things around that is actually examining the games and say, well, why are they successful? And quite often, key art and, and you know, the key, you know, the, the key capsules are absolutely key. You, know, you often see, well, why didn't that game do well even though it's good? And quite often it comes back to, you know, capsule art and simple things like that that, you know, you can get better at. You know, pick out the examples where you think, right, well, that's done really well. But I don't think, you know, quite often you see games which have done well which don't actually look great, but they have great capsule art. So, you know, there's lots of different things around that in that environment to capture people's attention. If you've got, I don't know, it's probably 20,000 games on Steam these days, you have to get your game to stand out amongst world and it's not easy to do if you don't have a big marketing pot you know concentrating on core icons and, and wish lists and all that type of stuff is a good way, good place to start 
Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, that was very, very, very interesting and useful, I think. <laughs> so if someone else has any other questions, just write it in the channel. And okay, let's talk a little bit with uh, about the Italian developers. So you're working with uh, different Italian developers right now. And in your opinion, what are the strengths and the weakness of the Italian game industry? Oh, it's a, it's a good question. I, it's, it's very hard to probably answer. I mean, I always think that Italian art has always been outstanding. I mean, I've worked with them for a long time. Absolutely outstanding. You know, the look and feel of how things work, etc. There's always probably, I think sometimes the games can be a bit too complicated um, for what they are, so the way that they navigate. So I do feel that Italian gamers like difficult games. So that's something which just struck me over the years. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's horses for courses because, you know, it's only we're only sort of talking about the games that we've published and, and looked at from Italian games. You know, we haven't published, you know, Assessor Corsa and, you know, some of the big games, which are, which are completely different. So it's hard to answer, but I would always say that Italian art is always outstanding. I'd say that the, the market and, and the industry has matured greatly in the last 10 years that I've, that I've dealt with them, you know, i mean foreclose is a beautiful looking product that we've got it's beautiful but yeah plays well too yeah there, there were a lot of changes in the last few years i mean yeah it's definitely more mature than than it used to be and if you have to do a parallel uh, comparing the you know we are a lot smaller but what are the difference with the uk game industry from a developer perspective obviously there are a lot <laughs> Yeah, it's probably more mature, um, I would say so. It's uh, the UK games industries, and this is where the Italian games industry has got a lot over the UK. Is it, it, it's it's cheaper to develop in Italy, so that's always an, an appealing fact from a publisher's perspective. So, you know, to develop in the UK, it's very expensive because you've got a lot of experienced AAA teams as well. Um, there are plenty of, of, of indie publishers, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd say the market is, sli is slightly, slightly more mature. There's probably more access to funding as well locally, I would say, although that's probably going to change with um, with with Brexit and everything that's happened this year. So, you know, the, the goalpost changed. But I'd say inherently that is the main difference is you've got some, you've got game developers that have been in this market for 30, 40 years. Yeah, quite mature. You know, some very, very big publishers emerging like Sumo, uh, Development Agent, yeah. Frontier, Team 17, all, to, you know, all, all super, super developers that have turned themselves into, into super duper um, publishing outfits. So that's where I haven't sort of seen that emerge as yet in the Italian games um industry so much where you know we, where you've got a super developer that's turned themselves into a into a, into a super publisher as yet yeah yeah definitely it's something that already didn't happen in Italy probably, right probably now probably milestone milestone's probably the closest to it right milestone yeah yeah, yeah probably yes uh but you know they're still very focused on on developers on developing and then publishing their own games they're not doing publishing right now not for external games they did some very very small uh, stuff in the past uh, probably the, the biggest italian publisher is still 505 games oh yeah of course yeah uh, of course yeah yeah mm -hmm. but they are more on the on publishing. the publishing side yeah yeah, yeah. They, they have some developers so uh, they have kuno simulazioni with a set of course uh, they have our garden as in, internal team let's call it that way uh, but they are still more focused on on you know 
publishing since they were they used to be uh, you know distributors back then in the 90s that's right. so that's, right. yeah, it, it, that's their heritage back then yeah <laughs> since you, you for sure are working with you know different developers from different countries what's your feeling about you know the, the italian game industry compared to other the, i mean from a developer perspective to uh, you know uh, other european countries developers so what's your feeling about that what are the differences i think i mean every european country is different i would have thought that do we deal with because we deal with people we deal with developers in spain we have quite a lot of development in spain finland norway italy us and culturally they're just different australia where we, originally where i'm from but they're all they're just subtle differences that you know they're not negatives they're just more traits of how people do business and it's more cultural stuff than anything uh, I, i wouldn't say that i mean every, everyone we deal with in italy is highly professional um and to be honest you know most of the countries we deal with who are independent developers are highly professional massively keen gamers you know want to be part of the games industry which is which is cool but yeah i don't i don't think by any stretch of the imagination that the italian games community is equally as competitive as anywhere else cool great to know <laughs> so uh, you know you cited brexit um do you think that with brexit there will be some changes yeah, in the uk of course no one knows anything really about brexit because it's like we try to understand rules at the moment it's still not that clear <laughs> so <laughs> so we're yeah. still sort of scratching our head around you know, what to do with it but no i think you know over time i think maybe britain will be will probably become a little bit more isolated and want to be more competitive and do their own thing but i don't i don't think so though like not in the gaming games games are huge like you know the uk needs europe and it needs the whole world as well when it comes to interactive entertainment so i, I don't really see it's going to change i mean maybe some of the rules around funding and stuff like that because we're no longer part of the eu okay that's going to change yeah. but you know in terms of resource yeah. and you know people that we we outsource to I, i can't i can't see it changing i really can't see that changing too much because it's i mean it still is a global world you know with brexit everyone got a bit too angry uk government's getting angry with european government european you know europeans getting you know getting angry with us and it, it, to be honest it, it wasn't it, it, it's nearly like a, a nasty divorce once things settle down hopefully things will be better again and people can sort of take a deep breath relax a bit then realize what's going on rather than you know angry <laughs> politicians getting getting very upset about you know you know little you know things on that, that are not that important particularly now with covid as well which you know makes people realize you know what things are all about so yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely okay again if someone has some questions just ask it there are 15 minutes left more or less so you know if you have anything to ask just write it down in the channel okay let's talk a little bit about you know the current ne next current generation console so what's your feeling about playstation 5 and xbox series x and whatever nintendo is doing right now do you think there are opportunities for smaller teams or you know they're so huge that you know the technical complex that's they're only accessible we're, we're specifically looking for right ps5 now. and series x um content so if any of you any of your developers around on this chat are, are keen to talk to us then reach out we've already done we've already done uh spirit of the north on playstation 5 we released it last november and it's doing 
really quite well. It's good incremental revenue as well. Series X we're launching this week. We've got five games in development, four porting. We've got probably another six or seven in development for PS5 and Series X. It'll take time for the install bases to, to build up, but um, yeah, we're, we're we're pretty keen on talking to companies uh, um, to to explore those avenues, particularly if you've got existing games. Yeah, because we've got facilities. Because I mean, we've got four or five different PlayStation Series Xs. We've got them here, ready to ready available to port, etc. So, you know, if any of your teams are thinking, well, you know, we don't have those facilities, then reach out to us. Other thing which which um, has kind of really taken us by surprise a little bit, I suppose, is is just how excited and interested both the media and all consumers are in in things like well specifically the dual sense controller and the things it can do when it was coming i realized it was cool but i didn't realize quite how much everyone would want to write about it so you know getting those features into your game is is actually really important in, t- uh, in terms of getting coverage people want to write about it talking about it etc so you know I'm, I'm not a developer i'm a marketeer so <laughs> maybe i'm talking rubbish but um I don't think it's that complex to do. It's certainly people are seeing it as a big talking point between um, Series X and PS5, which we don't understand. Um, but it's certainly a big talking point. It's certainly something that reviewers are marking us down if we don't actually have those features in there. Um, so, uh, yeah, just to back it up on that. Um, okay. Do you think there's still market for you know PS4 and totally. Xbox Absolutely. games? Uh, you know, you know that there is a huge install base right now. I mean, so... we just we just launched Morbid in November, and it's done very well on PlayStation. Cloudpunk as well done very well on PlayStation. Absolutely, there's a huge install base. Absolutely. So yeah, no, keep that going. You can also take it to retail. There's obviously. You know, there's well, how many consoles in the market? Aid it's huge, it's over a hundred. But you know, you've got they'll pass them down, etc. And a lot of the games are backward compatible these days. So there's more. Uh, what we found over Christmas that the PlayStation 4 sales for us were the biggest we've ever had, much bigger than previous years. That's you know partly because of COVID, partly because they've launched a new console, and people are trying out new games or PlayStation 4 games and playing them on PS5. So there's definitely a market there for sure. There'll be a cutoff point, I would have thought, in the next year that we we stop developing them. But for now, it's it looks great. Cool. How do you think the 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 industry will change? We focus on multiplayer games. A lot of the first parties want multiplayer games. They're very keen, and that sort of stems from from the success of Fall Guys, those style of games, party games. You know, humans fall flat. So. You know, yeah. everyone wants those style of games at the moment. It's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a talking point or a, or a popular talking point. The way the content's delivered too. So you know, having games which are accessible to families, and we see big changes in that market because of you know the push across the a border to you know to, to make sure that markets like India and you know Africa and that they're able to actually access games because they're not going to pick up consoles and put them under their TVs, it's going to happen. So, you know, you know, making sure you've got content which appeals to the masses, and you know, that they can ultimately reach, you know, markets which are which are unreachable in the past. That's where I see the big change. That's where I see the big change. 
I guess uh, other things, um, subscription services as well. I can see those continuing to grow. Um, Game Pass has obviously been a huge success for Microsoft, um, and I, you know, can see them continuing to push that. Um, but also streaming services. You know, Stadia got off to a bit of a rocky start, but um, is is now. We don't know the numbers, but um, it's still going. Um, more and more content is coming there. You know, obviously it got a, um, a lot of praise around Cyberpunk actually being a, one of the best versions at launch on Stadia. And obviously you've got xCloud and, and Amazon as well coming along into the into the streaming mix as well. So I think that's going to be... The downside, I would say, is that, I mean, independent content will be harder to make money out of. Um, definitely. that That's going to be... Because it and, and equally, you know, for for all all indie publishers as well, that'll be very difficult for. It. So I do see some amortising of that part of the market as well, because there's just not enough room for all these games. I see some changes on that front as well. Yeah, I found very interesting. You know, you know that they're starting to put Stadia inside directly inside TVs and stuff like that. I think this. Uh, very very interesting moves so or removing all the unnecessary hardware and just you know give you access directly to to the platform i think it's it's quite bold and it's something that it, it will be very very interesting in, in the next few years too Honestly, yeah. it's all about yeah. where they are going yeah netflix it's just like you think netflix it has to happen for games it has to happen yeah, yeah, Netflix is basically everywhere. Just buy the TV and you have Netflix, Netflix embedded, actually. So that's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have, uh, if someone has some questions, this right moment to ask it, or I just ask my last question to you. Okay, I just ask it, and then if something else came, is coming over, I just read the next question. So, you know. Is there one game or one idea that you think, oh, this game will really sell a lot, but no one is picking That's a very good question. Mm, that's a million dollar <laughs> question, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know, there are a lot of games that's like, oh, I, I, I really think this is gonna sell a lot, but no developers are doing, are doing it. Good question. We couldn't possibly tell you all our trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's kind of Maybe, a joke, um, you know, but yeah, it's you, just can, to understand if you can produce it. another Hades, <laughs> etc., or, or a game like that, then yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll most certainly publish it. It's, it's hard. Or, or, the, or the next Among Us will take that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But things like that come along come along and surprise you, right? That, that game had, had, had been out a couple of years and done okay, but then all of a sudden, it, you know, with some streamers picking it up, it just went absolutely crazy. And I don't think anyone would have foreseen that happening. Um, and, you know, all power to them. That's great. I think Fall Guys is another great example of something that, which came along and just exploded. So, the unexpected. Doesn't really help, thing, does it? Right? Doesn't yeah, really help. absolutely. Absolutely. No, it doesn't. Sorry. <laughs> 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 no, I know, I know. It's it's very hard, but you know, it's something that I I like to ask because you never know. <laughs> okay, um, since there are no other questions, uh, do you do you have, do you want to add anything else? To the uh, conversation? Not particularly. I, I didn't. You know, you can maybe talk to us about how you know how how you see the Italian um, industry developing this year, next year. What what's the plans? 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that, you know, we're in a phase, we as an industry grew up quite a bit in the last mm-hmm. two years, I may say. And what I'm, I'm you know, seeing like, like right now in the, in the Italian gaming industry is that teams are getting bigger, products are getting better and with, with you know, uh, more budget actually. So we are, we are seeing a huge growth right now. So uh, we used to be, you know, an industry where development teams used to be quite small. So just a few people uh, right now, we are seeing more like 10, 15, 20, 30 people team coming out on the, on the market. So I really think we will have a couple of very, very, very interesting years in front of us. Uh, I see a lot of growth and a lot of consolidation and yep. you know more more structure so we were kind of you know coming out from the you know the startup phase of the market and to to something that's that's more mature right now uh, a lot of teams you know we have teams that started like like us for example like eight nine years ago uh, you know everyone has done their own mistakes and you know work on different products and right now there is a more uh, more vision about uh, the market and how to really you know manage uh, a game studio so yeah i think it's consolidation and growth and it, it will yeah. be very very very, very interesting very good indeed okay so there is nothing else if no one is asking anything i think I can just you know close it down now thank you thank so you. much for your time uh it's been no worries, super useful and i think you will get in touch with a lot of developers after this business talk so you get a lot of emails probably <laughs> great thanks again for great. your time and thanks, thanks a lot everyone thank you so questions. much <laughs>